You are listening to Living the Talk, conversations brought to you by Judy Kayal Irakoze. Honestly, I am simply trying to mainstream African feminists, African women who are brilliant, intelligent, smart, and well-equipped to tell you on a lot of things, from politics to fashion to businesses, on simply on their everyday lived experiences. This is a platform for African women by an African woman. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, so hi everybody. Uh, today I am super excited to be with an amazing guest. Um, I've been meaning to do this discussion on Sudan for a while now uh, regarding the situation um, starting in December, but also because I feel like when it comes to the African continent, uh, it's about time we tell our stories and also educate on each other on how our struggles are connected. So today I am with Ola. Um, I'm going to ask her to present herself uh, before we can get into it. Um, thank you so much. That was beautiful. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Ola Idris. I am originally Sudanese, although I didn't grow up there. I grew mm-hmm. up in Uganda, Kampala, Uganda, mm-hmm. and I currently live in Canada. I go to mm-hmm. university here, and I'm studying political science and economics with a focus on African political science and African politics. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Well, it's not in my degree, but it's something that I'm intentionally doing myself to okay. focus the things that I study on African politics. Unfortunately, okay. people in the West don't find value in that, so they don't provide it as a program. Um, yeah. <laughs> but... It's, you know, something that's important to me. So I put in the effort to make sure um, I'm learning what I want. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, and so, so excited. To... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just wanted to say, like, I'm excited to be on this podcast as well, because not only is speaking about what's happening in Sudan now really important, mm-hmm. but I think pe- a lot of people are losing the opportunity to see how this is important in the grand scheme of other African countries mm-hmm. um, I think people don't realize what this means for other African youth and people around the continent not just in Sudan yeah that is exactly the part that I want us to focus on but before yeah. we get into it I wanted to ask you to give us a little bit of of uh, a background on mm-hmm. on what led to the to the revolution that started in December? I want you to give us a little bit of history on what started, how we started, and mm-hmm. and also include what the blue meant and why yeah. did we get to the point where everybody has to use that blue? Okay. So um, background history, a little bit on Sudan. Actually, I want to preface this this, by saying that all my knowledge is like knowledge that I've gained from people. Like all my knowledge is um, spread through people and through learning and listening from people on the ground Mm -hmm. and people on the diaspora. I'm not like a professional. I'm not like, I don't study this 
in and out. So I'm bound to get things wrong because people just be like assuming that everyone knows everything, you know? So I don't know everything, but here's what I do know. Um, the history of Sudan has been very strong in uh, revolutions in general. This is not the first like dictatorship that Sudan has overthrown. However, this dictatorship has been the most brutal. Um, a lot of people may remember the um, South Sudanese wars, um, the civil war that happened in Sudan that led to like the 2003 Darfur genocide. Mm-hmm. And that became a very big like issue in the world. And you had like George Clooney and them, you know, the celebrities talking about it. But it kind of went quiet after that. And Sudan became somewhat of a Kermit kingdom within Africa. Um, Bashir ruled with a military rule. Um, he implemented Sharia law, which <laughs> was disastrous in many things other than like it culturally changed the society in Sudan and a lot of things that weren't really um, true to Sudanese culture were brought on and it was part of the Arabization of Sudan and they're leading it to um, the Middle East and to like African I mean Arab um, countries that have historically like very um, violent a violent history with Sudan so Mm -hmm. you have a country that doesn't know democracy because it has never seen a proper like rule of democracy since its um, independence and then you have a government that won't care about the standard of living that is robbing the money of the people uh, and increasing taxes and making things really expensive and literally running the country to the ground and hoarding their wealth in these Arab countries and outside, and still killing and suppressing political voices, um, civil society groups. Um, They basically became extinct under this revolution, I mean, under this regime. And so what happened in December was that um, you had an economic crash, and people Mm -hmm. weren't able to buy bread, weren't able to um take money from their banks um they were very long lines for fuel and so basically it came to a point where there was no standard of living and so you had several protests come out um, against the revolution calling for the end of the regime um and so what happened during the revolution is that there was extreme um, cases of ammunition and tear gas and killing of peaceful protesters who weren't using any violence. Um, the regime did, they would storm into people's houses and shoot up the houses if they suspected that somebody in the house was part of the revolution. They were um, throwing tear gases tear gas bombs into hospitals where protesters were being treated Mm -hmm. um they were targeting doctors because they knew the doctors were healing the wounded um they cut off the internet so there was no really a voice or presence of what was happening in sudan other than through the diaspora mainly um and those that had like access to vpns or access to um outside forms of internet Mm -hmm. so what led to the blue 
was that in April, so on April 6th, you had the first Million Man March, where you had citizens from every neighborhood come out on the same day and meet at the military headquarters of Sudan, and they started a sit-in um, on the pressure of the sit-in and the amount of people there led to the quote-unquote military council asking the president, Ahmed Bashir, to step down, or that's how they frame it. And they instead put in, so on April 11th, Ahmed Bashir was deposed. And then on April 12th, you had the person who was replacing him, Ibn Auf, deposed. Mm -hmm. And they put into place the new one, Burhan, who wasn't um, wanted by the ICC, but still was part of the military. Mm -hmm. However, because the people understood that a change in a leader is not a change in a system that's broken, um, you can't build something that's successful and something that is going to work for the people on something that's rotten already. So um, the sit-in did not end in April. It continued because the people were demanding that all their demands are met before they can leave. Um, however, this is... Um, you had pictures that came out that somewhat put the sit-in in, um, in the light of international eyes, which was the picture of Ala Saleh taken by Lana Haroon um, that was put over BBC, CNN. People are starting to see what was happening in the sit-in. The sit-in was also very significant because it was organized. Um, you had different, like... It was huge. So even if things were happening in one side of the sit-in, the whole sit-in was not dispersed. Even the small, small fights that would happen. You had tents made of doctors that were healing um, those that were hurt. You had schools for homeless children. Um, all these things were running for free. Um, there was committees that were set up to make sure that there was food for the people, especially during Ramadan, where people have to break their fast and they're in the sun all day. Like Sudan's heat gets up to 40, 42 degrees Celsius. And people are outside in the heat all day and fasting. So there was communities that came together and would and promised to feed the whole everyone in the sit-in for 30 days. And then um, the night before Eid, which is what we celebrated at the end of Ramadan, um, the military council led by not the military council, um, RSF soldiers led mm -hmm. by Haiti. Um, they disperse the sit-in in very brutal and violent ways. They, so the day before they shut off the internet once again, mm -hmm. they um, shot up, they burnt down all the markers of the sit-in, they raped and sexually har harassed men and women, they dumped hundreds of bodies into the Nile. Um, within 24 hours or 48 hours, the whole capital city was under siege by RSF soldiers. And this went on for almost a week where people couldn't go to like their neighborhood stores without seeing like RSF soldiers with AK-47 guns. So the whole city and was under siege. And what was happening in Khartoum and what the diaspora was able to get out was not even comparable to the things that were happening in Port Sudan or Darfur um, because they don't have as much access mm -hmm. to the media, the RSF and the dispersion of those sit-ins there was even more brutal and more catastrophic and is definitely unproportionate 
but um, what it did was it gave way for something to be quote unquote what you know as what we know as trending. Um, how blue started was one martyr in specific, Muhammad um, Hashimata. He he was killed by ourselves soldiers, and so his friends and family changed all their bro- their profile pictures to blue. The blue is a specific shade of blue. It's his favorite color um, and was one that he used to put on all his profile pictures throughout the years. And so they were doing it in a way to honor him and to grieve him. And then um, with the family's permission, other people started putting it up as well in order to gain traction. And then once, like already it was on headlines and stuff like that. And then you had celebrities like Rihanna um, come out and also, I guess, bring light to it, which brought more attention to the West um, to see what was happening. Uh, so that's where we were. But um, throughout, after the sit-in was dispersed, um, Sudanese people remained resilient. They commandeered two more million-man marches without the internet. So it was all word of mouth. It was all like, tell a neighbor to tell a neighbor, we're coming out on this day. People would go out and be screaming on the streets that tomorrow is a day of protest, so come out. Like it was very organic, very um, um, grassroots. There was a lot of neighborhood resistances that were, um, that would be doing the work, I guess, on the ground. And you had the agreement signed between the military council and the coalition that represented the civilians on, I believe, August 18th. Sometimes my dates are off. But around that time, it was around the end of August. And um, since then, we've seen the swearing in of a new prime minister, a economist who has extensive like um, economic um what's it called, expertise that has worked with other international institutions, although Western, but has an extensive knowledge of Sudan from what I know. Um, you have an, the dedication to, I think, more than 40% of the Sovereign Council must be women. Mm-hmm. The new foreign minister is a woman. So um, we're still seeing more and more ministers and um, members of like parliament and stuff being chosen and, and inducted. And what's beautiful, I think, that not a lot of people know, is that most of these positions, the nominations were open for everyone to see. So it was a list of nominations of people who um, were deemed um, to be good for the role. And then through word of mouth and through whatever, the lists were open to the public. And a lot of people would be like debating back and forth why this person is better than that person, why this one is more accredited, things like that. And um, it was usually, I, I don't, um, I can't speak for everyone, but for most positions, it has been fair um, in that sense, because a lot of people trust in their um, accusations and like who they are as people beyond just like what their resume says. Um, and that's where we are now with Sudan. There's a lot of other things happening. Um, I think with the hyper-visualization of the news, we end up always focusing on the bad. And so what I'm trying to do these days as personally 
is to see what's good that's happening because this hasn't happened uh, a lot before where you have a fully peaceful revolution be successful and it's not even been a year alhamdulillah so um it's really great to see happening in an african country yeah um that's what i was about to say um it is disruptive it is it's one of one of a type of a revolution in the african mm-hmm. history and yeah. i wanted to ask you what do you think made this revolution successful uh, it was so peaceful it was so organized and it's the longest revolution that ever existed because people didn't keep it up um, mm-hmm. What do you think made it successful? What do you think led it to what it is now? Um, I think I think there's a very a lot of factors that played into it that mm-hmm. may have been on our side. One, people were tired. Um, what people will see as nine months of revolution is actually thirty years and thirty plus years of pent up exhaustion from knowing that you have the potential to be great. And knowing that you had once like such a rich history and a rich like potential in other words and that um because of a few greedy people whether it be within the country or outside you have a country being run to ruins and i think that's something that a lot of africans are starting to see is that we have control of the situations in our country but we are not um entrusting of each other to support mm-hmm. each other to go through this and that's what Another thing that um, I think Sudanese culture was strong in is people people are very well connected. Like you'll always hear of um, this person, like my like I'll say, oh mom, I met this new person um, that's Sudanian. She'd be like, oh, what's her mom's name? And then she'll know like her whole family somehow. Mm-hmm. So people are well connected. Um, families know if each other. They know if each, like they trust each other. Um, it's a community that's like literally that's I think one of the biggest strongest points is that everybody somewhat understood that at the end like it's for an end goal of a community of a better community and so if we don't stick together then there's no like way we can ever win like for all history we've been divided in some kind of way and the one strength we found is when we were together and so um, that's what it was and it was not also negating what somebody else was doing for the revolution a lot of times on the twitter wars um people would be like arguing back and forth when whether like going out on the streets or doing solidarity protests or all that was even necessary to be changing something but what what i found was beautiful is people are like you know what you resist your way and i'm gonna resist my way because we're both trying to get to the same goal it's bringing like your own individual self of how you resist to strengthen like a larger like movement. Um, so people use like poetry, art, um, writing, um, policy making to like write up briefs to send to their governments. Um, people were organizing like fundraisers and mental health spaces, all in support of the revolution. So when you have so many different parts working for one goal even if one part falls out you know that there's always people moving there's always people like um working for it so that was definitely something that helped um i think the other thing is sudanese people are just inherently not violent i think we're very like 
um, <laughs> peacemakers sometimes. Like we just like to to kind of uh, pet things through or whatever. I, I don't know the right phrase. So it's it's hard being peaceful in a time like this. But it was it was um, shown how important it was. I think. So yeah. If we're yeah, if we're talking about the actual revolution, though. Also, another thing that played is the fact that there was no, like, set leaders. So there mm-hmm. wasn't, like, one leader person that was in charge of everything. It was different, like, committees and structures. It was very spread out, decentralized, not just in, like, the capital city, but also in other, other cities and the other states in Sudan. Because people know Khartoum, but people don't recognize that, like, there's so many other states in Sudan. And there was movements happening in all the other states as well. Wow, I love I love how you said about community. I've always believed that to survive as a resistance, we have to be rooted in community because you can't survive mm-hmm. on your own. So the fight was collective. The fight was rooted in the community, and then the fight was also equally shared. I think the mm-hmm. other thing is sometimes we have these revolutionaries who gets to be upfront and then are exposed, sometimes mm-hmm. killed, sometimes jailed, and then mm-hmm. the revolution is gone mm-hmm. at some point. So yeah, I, I feel like that's where Sudan won in terms mm-hmm. of they were collective and they were rooted mm-hmm. in the community. Yeah. I wanted to ask uh, I wanted to ask you about what do you think about what it means for uh, for an Another African, African young, um, mm-hmm. young nation that that is trying to free themselves from dictators. What do you think they mm-hmm. should learn from Sudan? But also, what do you think Sudan needs to do to stay as the example that it is now? Um, Five years it- from now, we don't go back to what it was. It's hard to say because, you know, um, this like world politics is so interconnected. And mm-hmm. so things that happen anywhere affect other countries very like drastically or negatively. Like right now, I think something personally, something that needs to be focused on is um, two things, actually, infrastructure and the climate change problem. Um, mm-hmm. Sudan is lucky because we have the Blue Nile and the White Nile meaning to make the River Nile in Khartoum, mm-hmm. for example, which means that a lot of our land is very fertile. Um, but it also means that we have very tropical like weather and a lot of rain. So a couple of weeks back, there was like very bad flooding in Sudan. And so we need infrastructure to be able to like hold, to be able to like control that, control the flooding so that it's not like affecting like people's livelihoods. And then um, we need to like figure out how we are going to protect the country from like the climate changes of the world. Because if we're being quite honest, climate change is, is a very heavy problem in the West and it affects African countries more than it affects the West. So mm-hmm. this is something like we need to figure out how we're going to tackle that. And I'm not an expert on it. I just I think I can see the gravity of it. Um, other African countries, what they can learn. Um I think something that Sudanese people did brilliantly was to connect with like, like there was a very strong diaspora 
um, connection to Sudan. So mm-hmm. a lot of times, from what I see, when African diasporas leave, they leave and they only claim their country when it's for like fun times, mm-hmm. you know, but we don't really take time to see, okay, I'm studying, uh, let me see, I'm trying to think of the most random like thing. Let's say film. I'm studying film. What? How can I try to see how my identity and where I'm from connects to film? Because mm-hmm. that's in a way in itself is resistance. It's like connecting your everyday life. How does it connect back to your home, to who you are? Because those are parts of us and they're not parts of us that will ever go away. And mm-hmm. so well, what I think was beautiful is that everybody was kind of identifying themselves with Sudan, or at least that's what I was doing. Um, and you had all these people in the diaspora who were connecting back to Sudan, but weren't like coming in with this. I'm from the West, so I know better. So I'm going to do this this way. It was okay. People in Sudan have decided that today we're going out. Fine. We're supporting them in that. All right. People in Sudan have decided that today we're doing civil disobedience. We're not like protesting on the street. We're supporting them in that. It's that we are understanding of the disconnect because we don't aren't, we're not on the ground. And we're not like directly affected, but understanding the gravity in our in our support to Sudan, because that's what really was able to like the amount of food and the amount of money that Sudanese outside um, put in there, the amount of like access they opened to Sudanese people on the ground. That's what's needed. And I think the same can be done for any other African around the world. Um, in terms of people on the ground, I think it's also a matter of a lot of Africans are scared of political discourse mm-hmm. because they like um, when I grew up and I was around in my household, we used to speak politics like my parents were always on some kind of political rant. And so it was absorbed in me in a way to learn politics, to understand how it was. But um a lot of people don't like discussing it beyond like the surface level. They don't mm-hmm. want to go deeper into it um, because it's seen as like a lot of work or as activist work and like it's tainted, but it's, you're learning about how is your country being run? How is this affecting everyday lives? Because you, as much as you can look bottom up, you also have to look top down. So mm-hmm. those are things that I feel would be steps to a freedom that is generally people driven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, oh my God, I agree with everything you just said, especially the scary part. But mm. also, I feel like sometimes we get so tired. Yeah. yeah. As the young generation, we, we literally leave repetitive history that our parents lived. Mm-hmm. that we get conditioned to accept it as, as a fact. And I'm talking yeah. as a Brazilian with such a painful history all over the years that at some point you get used to it. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, at some point... In, When's when the you next study, disaster? Yeah, when you study the history of Burundi, it's like every 21... After every 23rd or 23 years or 22nd, there has to be something that's repetitive. So if you mm-hmm. study it and you add 22 years, it goes back to something similar that has to happen. So at some point, you're like, oh, I'm just going to live my life. And then if 22 years end, 
something is going to happen and the next generation is going to have to deal with it. So, mm. and also because we had a revolution in 2015, which was a, I won't call it a failure, but because it wasn't written in the community and it wasn't collective, the leaders of it ended up being uh, jailed, some of us, mm. others killed, mm. and and now the situation is just the people trying to survive. But yeah. what makes me hope is that at some point, people will get tired and they will resist. People so I hope realize that-, though that that happened in Sudan. Mm-hmm. So in 2013, there were there were protests that were very brutally like dispersed that were mm-hmm. against the government that I wouldn't say were a failure, but obviously didn't make like the change that needed to happen. It's mm-hmm. just that people need to understand that one revolutions aren't overnight like they take work and time and they require organizing so it requires that like people actually communicate with each other about what they want like if you as person a believe that my country deserves better and i see a path for my country to do better in this and that how about you try to find like-minded people you try to start conversations and it's the thing is it's hard because it's tiring work it's very tiring work and two it's dangerous in a lot of our african countries to be doing that because you're questioning authority you Mm -hmm. know and so when you're questioning authority even not just at a political level but even household level like that's seen as such like a horrible thing that you're questioning authority without like so it's also a conditioning of like, it's okay for me to question what's going on around my world. And because at the end of the day, most African countries right now are like really young. They have very large youth populations. Sudan, mm-hmm. for example, like I think 60 something percent are below, are below 18. So we have a young population, wow. which means that we have a lot of power because we are the generation that's coming into this power. Like, dictators are dropping left and right bro like they're dying so what are you doing <laughs> who thought Mugabe would die I didn't I just thought he would live forever so it's just Me like too. <laughs> I never thought that in my lifetime I would see Bashir not the Sudanese president anymore like the day that he the day that he was impeached or whatever people were just like I've never had another president my whole lifetime. Like you imagine one president. So it's like if you don't start envisioning it, it won't happen. Wow. Sorry, I yeah, a little rant, but like <laughs> it's like it's like Ugandans with Museveni. Oh. There's a whole generation that have never knew any other president. Yeah. I don't point- know what is Uganda without Museveni. So they're only if they, it's gonna be a Uganda without seventy, but exactly. I feel like you just gonna have to imagine it and and see it. As you and a lot said. of people are scared, and they have a right to be scared. Like a lot of our histories are so brutal and so painful, mm-hmm. and like nobody has ever dealt with the pain. I remember mm-hmm. last time we were speaking about like the Rwandan genocide and how yeah. like it's it commendable what's going on in Rwanda because mm-hmm. they've been able to like actually sit there and deal with what happened like it wasn't mm-hmm. rushed aside and so people aren't scared to speak up if they want change well somewhat um but people aren't 
scared of these discussions anymore. And so it opens up the conversation. In Uganda, people are like scared of the history sometimes because Museveni's been in power for a long time. He brought them out of quote unquote a really bad war. So it's understandable, but it's not it's not gonna change if nobody gets up and does something. Exactly. Exactly. Do you have anything else to add as we close this? Um, nothing much, you know. I just want to say that, like, it's great what you're doing, bringing women to this, like, platform um, and giving people like me a voice. It's very commendable. And when it comes to just, just thinking about any situation in the world that happens, what the Sudanese Revolution did for me is that it taught me um, how... I need to like implement resistance in my everyday life. And it's not always that it was because of the Sudanese revolution, but I allowed something that that was happening to reflect back to me what I needed to learn. And so a lot of it is just trying to understand yourself and where you fit within this like freaking world that's so tangled. Because once you do, then you start understanding what you bring to the table and how you can be the change that you want to see. Ooh, that was a nice way to end it. <laughs> wow, I am so inspired. I am so inspired. And, and, I feel like, and I feel like a lot of Sudanese friends that I have really have been impacted in a way I can describe about this revolution. Yeah. So now imagine if all African people were gotten yes. to the point of enlightenment because of like revolutions in their country. Please tell me who can stop us now. Who will be nobody, nobody, and I feel like Sudan is just the beginning. Like Amen. every African country is gonna be on that move. Hopefully. We are I, I, data out. They I have hope, to. I really do hope that it gets to a point where um, there is like a proper system built by Africans for Africans in Africa. I really hope yeah. that it comes to a point, and I hope it comes in my like in my years, but. Also, life life's hard in Africa, and a lot of people can't afford to, like, drop their lives. Like, the revolution, as beautiful as it was, it stole a lot from people. It took people's children. It took people's money and livelihood, you know? Like, so it's why it's so important to start with organizing and not to just jump into protests or to just jump into that because then the people who don't want to see that, they use it as a weakness and they destroy it faster than it could like rise. So you have to be careful and like not careful, but in the sense of we have to be smart in how we do it. Yeah, exactly. We have as to always. be smart. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my Thank god. You so much it was so having... nice to you to you. It was so nice. I am always glad. a pleasure. Always, yeah. always a pleasure. So have a good day. You too. Have a blessed rest of your week. Please get some rest. Yeah. You know, self-preservation. That's our number one. Always. Definitely. Definitely. I, I feel like my, this me getting this cold is my body telling me you need a break. Yes. And I'm, yeah, I'm going to give myself that. All right. All right. Have Stay a safe. Thank Bye. You too. Bye.